Well, today we are going to be um, in the book of Mark, right? We're going to be taking a little, a little turn in the book of Mark here. Um, as Pastor Stan said, uh, as a youth ministry, we've been um, going through the book of, book of Mark. We've been um, going chapter by chapter, just kind of assessing what, um, what God is saying through his word, um, what Mark is writing to um, the people of that time and uh, proclaiming the message of Jesus. Mark is a very interesting um, account of Jesus' life. It's very action-packed um, and very, very moves very, very quickly. So today we're going to be reading Mark chapter 8, and I encourage you all to uh, read on in the pamphlet uh, with me as we read together and um, dissect this passage and um, for y'all who are joining us online, thank you for being here and as we read together. So let's hear the word of the Lord today. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea of Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But who do you, but what, what about you, asked Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have your mind on the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whatever want, or whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. So this is an intense, you know, ten verses that we read here. This is an intense little passage, um, but a, a one that is important for us to, to look at. Um, and I want to start with a question. Um, has there been any time in your life where you have been so confident about something? You've been so confident you were right in a discussion or a conversation, and then you turned out to be wrong. Um, siblings, you probably have experienced this with you know, your siblings. You felt like you're right about something, and then you end up being wrong. Maybe that's with your friends. Married couples, I know y'all, you know, I know you all have experienced this. I've experienced this where I felt that I've been so right about something 
and then I end up being wrong. Um, in that moment, how does how does that feel, right? How does how does that feel to be to feel that you've you've you know you've been wrong about something that you felt so right about? Well, you you might feel a little bit humiliated. You know, you might feel a little bit. Oh man, I'm so embarrassed because of this. I, I thought I was right, or or you might, you know, you might dig your heels in and get really defensive, like, oh, um, you know, I I, I I I was I thought it was this way because you know, this or that. Um, there there's so many reasons why we might do this, um, but in this way, we, we see that Peter and the disciples are so confident, are so think they're so right about something, and then they end up being wrong. And today I want to want to talk to us about about faith. Uh, faith always has an object. Faith always has some sort of shape to it. And true faith it requires something of us, as we shall see. So today we we have we have three things that we want to talk about. We want to talk about a faith that confesses Jesus, a faith that reforms around Jesus, and finally a faith that follows Jesus. You can see that in your sermon notes. So first of all, a faith that confesses Jesus. What kind of faith or what kind of confession is required for this type of faith? Well, as we see, Jesus, he's walking with his disciples and he asks this question, who do the people say that I am? Right? Yeah, he's curious. He wants to know. And his disciples respond, well, you know, some say you're, you're John the Baptist some people say that you're Elijah from the Old Testament, and some even say that you're one of the Old Testament prophets here, right? So there's all these opinions on who Jesus is. But he doesn't stop there. He, he wants to go deeper. And Jesus says, but who do you, who do you disciples say that I am? Notice that Jesus, he's not super interested in what the, what the public opinion is about him. He wants to hear what the people he has called, he wants to hear what they say. He wants to hear their confession. Jesus wants to hear the very ones who he's called to himself, what their judgment is about him. See, there's a difference between public opinion and personal confession, in our lives, we, we can have an opinion about something, something that's, a, 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 something that's popular, right? Something that's based on, you know, ideas. Or we can have a personal confession that is rooted in trust and belief. So faith requires a, a personal confession. And we must seriously consider it for ourselves as, as we assess our faith. You know, is, is our view of Jesus, is it, a, is it public opinion or is it a personal confession? As you see Peter's judgment, it was right. What does he say? He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, right? You are the Messiah, right? It's such a, such a big moment, you know, his disciples are finally getting something right. But how does Jesus respond? Very differently than I, than I probably would have responded or you, you, you or I would have responded. It's such a big moment, but Jesus says he asked them to be silent about it, right? He's like, hey, don't go telling anybody, you know? What? what, what what's going on here? Why is 
he doing this? Well, you see, the understanding of the Christ, the Messiah, would have had so much, um, so much tied to it, right? The, the, the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah, someone who would be coming, who was prophesied about, who would come and overthrow the oppressors, who would come in and restore Israel the way that they thought Israel should be restored, right? This was to be promised, someone who would come in and, and make things right finally, right? This title had so much tied to it, so much expectation. They expected someone to be, you know, who was wealthy, who was powerful, who was some sort of a royal type, right? A descendant of, of King David who would battle the Roman oppressors who were, who were really hammering down on oppression against the Israelites, against the Jewish people. And finally bring about God's kingdom and rule. But what does Jesus say? He says, don't say anything, right? Jesus is very cautious at this point to use that title for himself. Even though that he is the Messiah, as we shall see through his actions, he is the one who will make things right. He is kingly and royal. He's very cautious because there is an expectation, and the, and the disciples have an expectation of, of who Jesus is going to be as the Messiah. And what that shows us is that the disciples in this moment, they need a, a reform of their faith around Jesus, around Jesus' expectation, around the reality of what Jesus is about to do and what he is about to bring. So how does our understanding require reform, as we shall see in this passage? See, Jesus, who wants a confession, not opinion, like we, we've already stated, and, and in this, they had a skewed perspective of their own human expectations, but that needed to be developed, right? That needed to be developed and, and changed not based on speculation, but based on what God says. So in verse 31, Jesus begins to speak plainly, right? He speaks plainly about his messiahship, disclosing the whole purpose of what was about to happen, what was supposed to take place, the whole purpose, right? As, as, we, as we read that passage, right? That what must, what must happen is, is that he must be handed over to the chief priest, right? He must be handed over to die, but then to rise again. He's basically telling them, this is the plan, right? And what does, what does Peter say? He rebukes him. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, that's not how it's supposed to happen. You're, you're supposed to come in with, you know, a, a authority. You're supposed to come in with your army and overthrow the Romans. We're going to do battle, right? And we're going to have, we want the kingdom now, right? That's what Peter and the, and, and the disciples think what is supposed to happen. And they're basically telling Jesus, no, you know what? I don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong, right? I, that's, that's an intense thing to say, right? <laughs> telling Jesus that he's wrong. But this is what the disciples 
are doing. They're saying it's not supposed to happen like that. They need their faith reformed. See, they're, they're ready for Jesus to bring about the kingdom now, right? Peter and the disciples don't understand that Jesus and his revealing the kingdom and their understanding, it's not based on these preconceived ideas of what the, the Hebrews had. And Jesus doesn't fit into that mold. He's not fitting into the, the human understanding, the human mold, the human expectation that were conjured up after generations and generations, right? But how many times do we do that? How many times do we have a conception of, of Jesus that's based on maybe popular culture or popular opinion or you know, what we understand um, a, a good person to look like? How many times do we try to fit, in, fit Jesus into our human understanding? How many times do we do that with God? Often times, I know I'm guilty of doing this, fitting it into what is convenient for me and my own agenda and my own lifestyle, what's suitable for my wants and my desires. But that's dangerous. It's so dangerous when we do that. Because once, we're, once we do that, we're worshiping a God of our own imaginations when we do that. And Jesus sees that this understanding that the disciples had and that Peter had, when, when, when Peter came to Jesus and rebuked him, he sees this and he is not willing to let this one go. He steps right up to Peter. He gets right in his face and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? Has anyone ever called you Satan before? That's a pretty intense thing to say, right? Get behind me, Satan, of all things, right? I've been called a lot of things in my life, not Satan. But constantly, you know, the, the, what is being said here is that the idea of Satan, the, the, the Old Testament idea of accuser or, or adversary, that is what Jesus is bringing out here. He doesn't think Peter is actually Satan, but the way that he is, the way he is presenting, he's being, he's being adverse to what Jesus is trying to do. He is coming against Jesus' mission in what he is saying. And that's what leads Jesus to say this, get behind me, accuser. Don't be adverse to my kingdom. And it's coming. Constantly in the Old Testament, the prophets characteristically emphasize that, that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, not, is not made by human hands, right? Not like the gods of the Canaanites and the surrounding false gods. But God is a, is, is a God who says, I am who I am, right? I will be who I will be. And the Canaanite gods were not the gods, right? God of the old, or, or, or the God, and that Jesus is, is proving to be the same God, right? Come in human flesh. He's revealing that I am not going to be fit into those molds, right? I am not going to be going to be part of those missions that you think that I should be. See, what the disciples required 
was reformation. They they required correction. They required an understanding with faith that should be molded around Jesus. And so many times we we need that too. We need to, to, to to be fit into God's plan, right? Not for God to fit into our plan. And see, uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter, right? Peter had his mind set on, on things that were of human concerns, right? They were not set on the things of, of God's concerns, as, as the text says, right? There's, he was so caught up with how things should play out, how, how things should, should occur according to his mind, right? That he was unwilling to, to focus on the ways of God, right? He had, his, he had his view too limited, right? And we do that too. How many times do we have our view just so limited on what we can see, what we can understand, with you know, maybe one step ahead of us, where, where God has an infinite knowledge, God has an infinite um, understanding and, and a specific plan and purpose and it requires us to surrender our understanding, surrender our way, and to focus and to, to trust the way that God is bringing, to, to trust and, and hope in the, the understanding and, and the concerns that God is, is bringing about, right? We can do this with our jobs, Right? We can do this with our, our, you know, maybe our schoolwork. We can do this with our hobbies, our, our, our finances, right? Our social standings where, or our families where we're just so concerned with one aspect of our life that, that we want to fit it into a, a mold that suits us, right? We live in a day and a day and age when um, human concerns and, um, and human um, priorities become so personalized, right? I mean, they're delivered right to our smart devices, right? We get this so often. We're inundated with messages even from our culture where we're, we're told to, to follow what makes us feel good, to follow what, what makes sense to us, right? But what God is, or what Jesus is calling us to what Jesus is calling his disciples to is not to be to be focused on these human concerns but to trust and obey and to follow the way of his kingdom right so and and I, and I want to uh, have a caveat to that is is that not all human concerns are bad right not um, we, we, we really do have good intentions a lot of the times. However, they can become destructive when we allow them to shape the narrative of our lives, right? When we want to say that, I want the best family. I want, to, I want the best, you know, I want to be the best at my job. I want to, um, you know, have a, have a good social standing, have a good, I want to have a, people to, to view me um, respectably, right? I want to have people really look up to me, right? To, to shape a, a certain perspective of ourselves. When that becomes our priority, when that becomes our focus, 
that's when we get into dangerous waters, right? That's when, we, that's when it, it becomes very destructive for our lives. But faith in Jesus, it tells us here that it, it requires reform. A reform in our, in our minds, that our, our minds wouldn't be any longer shaped by human concerns, but first and foremost, shaped by the concerns of God. So let's take note that, that Jesus here, he's not willing to be, to be stopped or opposed by the opinions of his disciples, right? In his rebuke of, of, of Peter and his rebuke of the disciples' understanding. But also, let's note that, that at the same time, he, in, in their failing to understand, he doesn't, he doesn't write them off, right? He doesn't, he doesn't tell them, okay, you guys have failed. Now you, you, know, you guys are unworthy of following me now. No, 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 no. Jesus is very patient. Jesus is very patient with his disciples. If we were to read the whole scope of the book of Mark, I mean, we say time and time again that the disciples are not getting it right. right? They have a, they have a, 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 a skewed understanding of who Jesus is supposed to be. But Jesus is so, so patient, both willing to correct in truth, but also willing in kindness to continue to, to invest and continue to shape the disciples, right? He doesn't cast them away. And that's, an, that's a really an encouragement for, for both me, and it should be a, an encouragement for us today as well. Because Jesus, right, he doesn't want to take on that, that, that concept of, um, of Messiah quite yet because it had this, these, political, these political ties, right? These, these political, um, it was politically and religiously, very much so politically and religiously charged. And in that way, he wanted to remain kind of under the radar until the fullness of God's plan came to be, right? That meant him suffering and him dying on the cross, pain for the human sin, but then being resurrected, rising again, and establishing his, his new covenant, right? So that brings us to our, our, our third point. We, we talked about... Um, a, a, a faith that confesses, that personally confesses Jesus. We talked about a, a, a faith that requires reform. You know, when, when we con constantly need our faith to be reformed and renewed in, in who Jesus is by our understanding of him through God's revealed word. And that brings us to a faith that follows Jesus. A faith that follows Jesus. Right? Are, are we willing to follow our leader? Are we willing to follow Jesus as our leader, as our teacher, as our Lord and our, our, our Savior? See, a, a, a commentator said, said one time that a wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. Right? So if we have a skewed view of who Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ is and what that means, it's going to ultimately lead to a wrong view of how we follow. But a right view of, of messiahship, a reformed view, 
of him will lead to a correct view, an accurate way of discipleship and following Jesus. See, Jesus, he gives us a glimpse of what faith must look like, right? In verses uh, 34 through 38, it's what he tells us. He says that if anyone is to come after me, he's to deny himself, right? Deny himself. He's to pick up his cross, and he's to follow me, right? So these, these ideas that are very countercultural now, well, de- were definitely countercultural then, but also countercultural now, we see that, that Jesus, these are the ways that he requires. These are the way, this is the way of the cross, right? The way that the disciples didn't think that Jesus was going to bring about in his kingdom, but Jesus rightly understood this was the, the way that, that his father had ordained and the way in which he has called Jesus to and, and the way that he calls his disciples to as well. To deny yourself, to deny yourself of, of the earthly pleasures, of, of gratifying your own desires, to pick up your cross, right? To pick up that, that burden of the cross, which not only was a... A, a, you know, not, not only was a symbol of, of death, but also in, in that culture would have been a symbol of humiliation, right? It's the most shameful way to die. You know, it, it is said actually that, that um, Roman citizens legally could not be crucified because of the shamefulness of that way of death. And that's what Jesus, is, as we see, so we understand the narrative and the story of redemptive history. That's what Jesus bore for us, was that shame, was that humiliation. And he's calling us to endure that as well with him and to follow Jesus in the life that he led. Now we're sitting here today and saying, wow, that, that's not really appealing, right? <laughs> that's not an appealing lifestyle, Right? Consider all the options that we have. You know, if, if you're in here today and, and you don't follow Jesus, you're like, man, why would I, I want to do that? Right? But Jesus, he, he lays out four reasons for us that I, I think help give us a better understanding, that give us a, a, a truer understanding of, of what he is saying. And, and they're filled with both irony and paradox. You know, irony and paradox, where Jesus is saying something and reveals um, something that's, that's going on and, and an understanding that, that totally goes against of how we tend to think about the world and how we tend to view the world itself. And Jesus lays out these, these four reasons for us, and they're, they're embedded into these questions, right? These, these statements in 35 through 38. In 35, Jesus says, whoever would save his life would lose it. But what, whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it, right? I mean, that's a, that's a paradoxical statement, right? Okay, so if I want to save my life and, 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 and just hold on to what I have, it's going to slip through my fingers, right? It's going to... It's going to fall through, but if I lose my life, if I give that up, if I surrender that, then I'm going to save my life. 
makes me think, I'm a big Star Wars fan, it makes me think of um, uh, the third movie, uh, Revenge of the Sith, where Darth Vader, Anakin, who he, he is before Darth Vader, he has a, a, a dream that you know, his wife Padme is um, going to die in, 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 in childbirth, and he becomes so anxious, he becomes so concerned and prioritized with making that not happen, right? That in order to, in, in his attempt and, and concern to save his wife, right, it still ends up happening, right? Because he, he gives in to these desires, he gives in to the dark side, right? And what, it, it still ends up, ends up happening. And that, that's, the, that's the image I see, is like we, we try to hold on sometimes to the things that are near and dear to us that we, can, that we put value in and they just slip through our fingers, right? But what Jesus is saying is, hey, open your hands, right? Give those things, lose that, be willing to lose that, and you'll find true life. You're, you will be saved through that. Not saying that that will, you know, that, that's not their merit of salvation, but through that way, right, will lead to, to life, to true life. Uh, and, and in that way that Jesus is saying that, you know, sometimes we, we want to have both and, right? We want it all. You know, you can have this and this. And a lot of times we, we want to do that with Jesus. Is we want our we want our, our our really good life, right? Our our our, our status, our uh, our our comfortability, but we also want Jesus too, right? We want to find some way to mesh those things together and hold on to those so tightly. But this is not an, an, a both and statement, right? This is an either or statement. You know, it's it's. Your life, your agenda, your priorities, your concerns, or Jesus, right? And that's what a, a, a call to come and follow Jesus and his way is a life to abandonment of those priorities, those concerns, those things that we tend to so dearly put value in and hang on to. And then the, the second way that we see this is in verse 36, where Jesus asked this question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Right? And what is being said here, and that can actually be tied in with, the, with 37, is that what, what can man give in return for his soul? Right? So he's, he's drawing this, this correlation between one's soul, one's self, one's being, and the world. Right, the whole world. The the you know, think about that. If you could, if you had the opportunity to have everything in the world, all of its riches, all of its all of its pleasures, everything that the world had to offer in exchange for your soul. Right? Sometimes we, we want to act like we, we, we do that, right? But what but what Jesus is, is drawing out here is what does that actually profit someone when they do that, right? What value and worth is actually in all the things that you could conjure up, all the things that you could accumulate in this world while giving up your soul? And the second question, what can a man give in return for his soul that shows us 
that Jesus is wanting to draw out the worth of the human soul to God. You know, could it even be compared to the riches of this world? Could it even be, could it even be, um, you know, could, could, a, could the, all the things of this world even buy the value of the human soul, right? But what Jesus is saying here is that what the world has to offer, it's, 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 it's really of, of no value, comparatively speaking. It's really of no e- eternal worth. And there's some great things, there's some great pleasures, and there's some great um, things that we can enjoy in this world. But, the, but the, at the cost of our souls, the cost of ourselves. See, we can, we can live without the world. We can live without the pleasures of this world, but we can't live without our souls. We can't live without our, our beings, right? Are we willing to give that up for the pleasures of the world? This is the great paradox that Jesus is, is drawing us into. See, because we tend to actually undervalue the worth of our souls. And only in the teachings of Jesus and the way of God do we really tend to understand the, the deep value that God places on the human soul, that God places on each one of our souls. And he's calling us into a life of following that. And furthermore, in, in verse 38, Jesus talks about those who are ashamed of the Son of Man, right? The Son of Man was a, a title that Jesus, he, he didn't use Messiah, in, in his, his ministry, as, as we shall see in, in the Gospels, but he did use this title, Son of Man. So he's referring to himself as the Son of Man. Whoever's, whoever's ashamed of the Son of Man, right? Talking about, um, talking about his disciples, or if, if anyone is to follow after him. He says that um, if anyone is, is ashamed of, of the Son of Man and, and me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels, right? Jesus is giving us these options. He's giving these, the disciples these options here if anyone is to follow after him. He says that you know, A, we, we can be ashamed of Jesus and his words, or B, we can be willing to trust Jesus and be willing to endure shame for the sake of Jesus, but in that we can, are actually secure and found in him. See that distinction, be, being ashamed of Jesus and his, and his words, or be willing to endure shame for the sake of Jesus, with Jesus, but also be secure and, and found in him. Jesus came into the world not to be 
ashamed of us, right? But he came to bear the shamefulness that, that is, a, is a result of our sin, right? He came to take the burden on for the sake of us and was humiliated and, and bore the wrath of God that we deserve to receive. He endured that. He endured that, that shamefulness. As we talked about earlier, the, the, the way of the cross. The cross was a very shameful way to be executed. He, he, he endured that humiliation for us. And Jesus is calling us to not be ashamed. To not be ashamed of him in this world. To not be ashamed of his words. To not you know, put them aside or to hide them or to, 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 to push them off, but to embrace them, to embrace Jesus and, and, and his way and his, his way of life, to follow him, to follow our leader in that. So for us today, as we are continuing to, to apply this, where do we, where do we struggle with this? Right? Where do we struggle in, in, in actually obeying this? Because I, I know what probably a, a majority of our, us are thinking right now is that, you know, does Jesus really mean this, right? Does he really mean he wants us to deny ourselves? Does he really mean that he wants us to take up our cross and to follow him, you know? Or is this more of like, you know, more metaphorical, right? Is this more like, um, you know, in some ways and not the other, right? Or does this apply to our whole lives? Is he serious about what he is calling us to do? And, uh, you know, the encouragement I see is that the disciples seem to really think so. Because as, as we read the disciples where, where they got it wrong during the earthly ministry of Jesus, is that when they were, you know, post-resurrection and after Jesus ascended and they were endowed with the power of the Spirit to, to carry on the ministry of Jesus in the early church, they were willing to do, do this. They went on to, you know, all, all but one disciple was actually uh, martyred for the faith. You know, they, they took this call seriously. You know, they, they, they took it um, very, very seriously, and, and, and so did the, the people of the early church. They gave up so much. They gave up their, their agendas. They gave up their, their, their livelihoods, their comforts to follow Jesus. And it ultimately comes down for us is that what, what, what do we really place our value in, right? Are, are we, do we place our value in, in our earthly concerns, in our, in our, earthly, our earthly pleasures, and prioritize those things, or do we value Jesus? Do we really value Jesus? And that's, that's convicting for me. You know, as I've been studying this week and, and preparing for this message, I, I, I'm really convicted that, that I tend to undervalue Jesus. I tend to undervalue him in, in my life and take him seriously and, 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 and follow him. And applying a passage like this to my life. And what Jesus is calling us to it is to take him seriously. Is to not be ashamed of his, 
of him or his words, but to, to obey him. Even when we don't have the, you know, the, the, the end result or, or the, the, that, that might lead to um, a little of, of the unknown and a, a, a need to embrace the mystery, right? But it, it does draw us into a further uh, a trust of the Lord, a further dependence on him, a further need for him in our lives. Right? It should draw us into a, a, a greater dependence. And the, the view, our view of Jesus becomes so much grander because of that. When we choose to surrender and choose to give up those, those things in our lives, to deny ourselves, to um, even as uh, in, 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 in the front of our bulletin, when a, when, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when a, a man is called to Jesus, it's a call to come and die, right? You know, there's the ultimate sense of that, right? Where there are Christians and there are individuals who, who do, it does require them to give up their, their physical lives. But even as in, in applying it to, to us, it does require us to give up livelihood. It does give up, uh, or it does require us to um, to give up comforts, right? To give up the things that we tend to, to value, right? To surrender those things, to, to sacrifice those things because our, our value in Christ and his way and his kingdom and his glory should be so much grander than those things because what Jesus is promising in his fulfilled kingdom, you know, once, once he brings his kingdom in its fullness and new heavens and new earth, that, that those things should be our, our goal, like it is Jesus' goal as we follow him as, as Christians. So as we confess our, our, our personal confession of faith in Jesus, and, and as, as, our, as our confession and, and our, our faith reforms around Jesus, and that faith requires us to follow Jesus, it, it really shows us, and as it is pinpointed in, in the title of this message, is that our, our faith really does need to have a meeting with Jesus, right? Our, our, each and every day, our, our faith does have a, needs to have a, a meeting with Jesus, where we're meeting Jesus and, and learning him and trusting him and obeying him and learning how each and every day for us as Christians, as, as we know that the spirit of God is living in us, that we follow him and trust him where he's telling us to go, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable. Because what Jesus is is promising and what Jesus is bringing about is so much greater than any earthly pleasure, than anything that we could conceive of for ourselves. And it's the, the, the only thing that will, will, will actually truly satisfy us in the end and bring us the fulfillment that we are so desperately longing for as human beings. You know, that, that's really it as, as, we, as we try to fill our minds with human concerns and, and try to, to fill our lives with, with ways in which 
we want to make our lives better, is that we have this desire to, um, to, to live the best life, right? We have this desire to, um, to, to make ourselves comfortable. But the irony in what Jesus is saying is that that is all temporary. That, that can be lost, right? But the best life is actually embracing the worst that life could possibly get, right? To embracing the, the opportunities to, to suffer for the sake of Jesus, to give up those, those comforts, and to, to trust Jesus in the way that he is calling us to live and calling us to do. We, we, we can't do that. You know, we can't live out that, that type of faith. You know, first of all, without a, a, a true regeneration of the heart, but also along with that, we can't do that without a deep and growing dependence on the person of Jesus. So that's my encouragement for us, is that we would, we would go about even, even thinking about this, this coming year, that we would embrace that. We would embrace that, that cost of denying ourselves and picking up our cross, you're willing to embrace shame and humiliation and not maybe achieving the, the things that, that, that you thought you could achieve in, by human concerns, but embracing the way of Jesus, because that way, my friends, is so much better. There's such a better life in, in this life and the life to come. So would you pray with me? Father God, oh Lord, we... we reminded so much this morning of how much we need you. We're reminded of the life that you, uh, the life that you lived in, in your uh, life here on earth and your earthly ministry. And Lord, how much you desire for us to follow you, to not be formed by the, the opinions or the popular opinions of the world, but to be, but to be, but to, for you to shape us by the concerns of God. And so, Lord, I, I ask as, as we wrestle with your word today, I, I pray that you would, um, you would help us learn to surrender wherever we need to surrender in our lives. You would teach us your ways for the purposes of your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.